Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a depressed CEO of a toy company who develops an alternate personality represented by a beaver hand puppet he finds in the trash, who then rebuilds his life but realized the beaver is what's holding him back in the first place, and so cuts off the arm containing the puppet to once again achieve happiness. Oh, oh, I must have taken complete leave of my senses! That's actually the plot of the 2011 film, The Beaver, starring Mel Gibson, a personal hero of mine, politically and cinematically speaking. This is actually a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Dan Moran, joining me is my favourite person, oh, Sam Foster. So sweet of you. Oh, you know. Well, on today's film chat, Danny and I will be gearing up to take on The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies, and Danny looks at one of the year's art house highlights, Polish nun film, Ida. Are nuns better than orcs? Finally, Danny can tell us. Plus, all the usual news and ramblings, and a quick look at some of the big new films we won't be seeing because we're too busy having Christmas, and also they're shit. Let's go! Let's go! Ah! We've been inundated with letters as always. I Any think, um, I think catch this, your uh, eye over the mound? This week might be our record um, for number of uh, genuine letters. Oh my god! I mean, just letters from you know people on Facebook and that sort of thing. Letters is probably wrong, but people writing on Facebook to us certainly. So um, we reviewed Saint Vincent uh, last week and gave it what I would describe as a lukewarm review. Yeah. Uh, Kate Tinson also saw St. Vincent. Here's what she said about it. I went to see St. Vincent and really enjoyed it. I was a little apprehensive as the story has already been told many times, but it still felt fresh due to an excellent cast. Bill Murray should at least get a nomination for this film. He was truly superb, especially in the heavier bits. Naomi Watts was very funny too. Stay for the entire credits, Bill Murray karaoke. Yeah. I mean, we stayed for the credits and they're just like... Uh, I don't know, weren't as funny as I thought they would be. Well, it's just Bill Murray shuffling about as slowly as possibly, yeah. listening to Bob Dylan. And he's trying to sing along, but he's really not doing a very good job. It's like the laziest singing ever. <laughs> you know. 
he know. sings like a, a good like verse behind Dylan. Maybe that's not he's not that big. But compared with modern Dylan, he's probably like bang on. Yeah, he sings a lot better than modern Dylan would. It's true. Anyway, you know, I don't I like it is enjoyable and Bill Murray and Naomi Watts are both good in it, so yeah. wouldn't it wouldn't entirely disagree. Okay. But she probably enjoyed it more. I'll give you a pass, Tinson. Um, we've got quite a long bit of correspondence from James Andrews. He went on and on. Oh, yeah. Bloody love film chat. Oh. Ah. James Andrews. Sweet of him. Oh, thanks, James. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. I was actually quite excited to see that. Yeah. Bit of praise from James. He's not easily pleased. I mean, he is just... It's like looking at a granite wall, just talking to him. <laughs> he hates everything. <laughs> yeah. Not physically, he's a beautiful man, but I just mean in terms of the emotions he displays. Uh, more correspondence uh jake hoskins our, um, oh jake our friend jake yeah um he was picking us up on not giving a full impression of the movies in which bill murray is happy because we were questioning whether um bill murray ever plays someone cheerful which he is not playing in saint vincent and jake uh well points us in the direction of the man who knew too little perhaps his most underrated film which has recently been added to netflix in the uk i've got a letter Quite an enthusiastic one. It says, Hi Sam and Danny. I'm a regular listener to Film Chat, and the thing I love most about the podcast are Sam's wonderful jingles. I often find myself rewinding the podcast just to hear his dulcet tones over and over again. However, something has been troubling me of late, specifically the news segment jingle. At first I thought I was imagining things. I mean, surely Film Chat can't be making smutty remarks about one of our finest screen actors. But I listened to it again. And now I'm certain, in the lyrics, you can clearly hear Sam making lewd remarks about Meryl Streep's breasts. <laughs> I demand you remove the shameful lyric immediately. All the best, Sandra from the uh, Galapagos Islands. So, okay. I think we should listen to it now. Quite far afield, that listener. Yeah. Meryl Streep's breasts. Yeah, yeah. I've listened to it, and i got to say, she's got a point. Wait, okay. I'm trying to remember my own lyrics now. Okay. Shall we play it again? Okay, yeah. Okay. M. Not Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tit. Meryl Streep's Oscar tit. Meryl Streep's Oscar tit. What does that even mean? Why would I even say that? It sounds like you say Oscar tit. Well, I'm saying tipped. Meryl Streep has been Oscar tipped. It sounds like you're saying Oscar tit. Let's listen to it again. Meryl Streep's Oscar tit. Tipped. I think Sandra's got a point. Mm. Oh, well, uh, I'm delighted to have a listener from the Galapagos Islands, but I hope not the whole population shares her attitude towards my jingles. Although they do seem to be broadly positive, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't like to be criticised. Meryl Streep's Oscar tit. All right. I mean, I don't know who this Sandra person is. How can <laughs> I take her whatever yours? Does Sandra Bullock live in the Galapagos Islands? I think she does. I think she does. I think I read that somewhere. Bullock. Bullock. Hello to Sandra Bullock. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Mick Campbell. Oh, Mick Marcus Campbell. T review Black Mirror. The Black Mirror Christmas Special. Black Mirror Christmas Special. It's not a film, Mick. We're not called Charlie Brooker TV show chat, are we? <laughs> you no. can't see the hand gestures I'm doing here, but they're very dismissive. Well, it's, you know, it's got film people in it. Anyway, what did you make of Black Mirror? Um, I liked it. And that's what I'm going to say. I don't know. I, I was pretty good, but I thought it had like a lot of ideas, a lot of plot. And I thought it was just a bit... It didn't really come together as elegantly as I thought it was. I don't know. I thought like, the first idea was really good when it sort of abruptly ended. And it's like, why are you telling me the story? And it's like, because we need to fill half an hour. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was relatively well woven together, all things considered. I mean, I kind of took on board that it was like three short films, like a season of Black Mirror compressed into one thing. 
where you had three sort of short stories and then they were kind of interwoven into the framing device of John Hamm and Ray Spall having a sort of chat in a cabin. I thought it was pretty well done. John Hamm was great fun. Yeah, he was really good. And uh, anyway, it's not even a film. Let's shut up about it. I can't bear to discuss it <laughs> a second longer. Oh, and also, uh, thank you to everyone who has sent in their best of 2014 lists and made other such comments. Um, we will be tackling those in our Christmas special, Woo! which will be um, coming to your ears on Christmas Eve. Yeah, an early Christmas present for everybody. Yeah, that's how generous-hearted we are. Move on. Play a jingle. Play some jingle. Play the Oscar tit jingle. Superhero films announced. Casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tit. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. So, uh, this week saw the release of Terence Malick's uh, let me start again stories of Terence Malick's trailer film <laughs> <laughs> Terence Malick has released his trailer he's, uh, he's, he's living in it for years he's unhooked it from the back of his van and it's just rolling down rolling, the highway down the Hollywood Boulevard and um, it's whoever wants it can have it yeah it's killed five people yeah the original script for the thin red line is in there so <laughs> get on, on it people <laughs> It's going to make the cut? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, the trailer for Terrence Malick's new film, Night of Cups, has been released. Uh, mm. His film starring Christian Bale, Natalie Portman, and Kate Blanchett, and Antonio Banderas. Mm. And it's uh, what we know about it is that it's set in uh, Austin, Texas, and it follows the music scene there. Anyway, the synopsis has been released, uh, which is quite cryptic, to say the least. Maybe I should say it in whispery tones, like Terence Malick's just characters. Say it, just say yeah. it how you feel like it wants to be. Written. Actually, um, mystery producer, can you put on some stirring music underneath this? Stirring? Was it like... Like some Tree of Life music. Okay. Once there was a young prince whose father, the king of the east, sent him down into Egypt to find a pearl. But when the prince arrived, the people poured him a cup. Drinking it, he forgot he was the son of a king, forgot about the pearl, and fell into a deep sleep. Riggs, Christian Bale, father, used to read this story to him as a boy. The road to the east stretches out before him. Will he set forth? I think my favourite part about this synopsis is the introduction of Rick. Because <laughs> you sort of think that it's yeah, it's some kind of like <laughs> Moses-type Rick's story. Then and then it's just Rick's father. It's like, who's Rick? <laughs> uh, Christian father. Bale. Yeah. Yeah, it's, quite, it's definitely quite malachy to release a synopsis, which just sounds like one of the sort of weird, like, spiritual like remarks that the voiceovers uh, in his movies make. Yeah. So, I'm a I... bit of a Malick sceptic. Well, I haven't seen his, Ooh. like... You know, I've only seen two of his movies, so I haven't seen the earlier, more acclaimed ones. Uh, but They're I'm very done. acclaimed. Yeah. Badlands? They should call it Greatlands. Well, I haven't it's seen that Badlands. Good. Um, but they should have called the New World Badlands, just based on it being bad, <laughs> according to me. I really like the New World. I think it's great. And it's a great film. Terence, is that you? <laughs> Are you doing a voiceover on our podcast? Even more exciting news, mm -hmm. Orlando Bloom might be in the fifth Pirates of the Caribbean film. I've always said that what the Pirates of the Caribbean series needs is Orlando Bloom. Do you know what the worst instalment is on Stranger Tides? Do you know why? No bloom. No bloom. No bloom in Stranger Tides. Yeah, I didn't go to see it because no bloom. Do you see the hashtag I created? No bloom. <laughs> and the t-shirts I were making. No bloom question mark. Yeah. I wear it to most film screenings. No bloom. Yeah. Yeah. 
along, yeah. with, along with your um, Love Gosford Hate Downton t-shirt. Yeah. Hate yeah. Downton. Love Gosford. Yeah. It's the new, yeah, new Bloom. Where's Bloom? Where's Bloom? Where's Bloom at? If the Hobbit movies have proved anything, Orlando Bloom was incredible at playing roles he played 10 years previously. <laughs> anyway, so he was talking to IGN, which should Harvard reference our sources here, um, when he was doing the press for the latest Hobbit movie. And he says, I'm not entirely sure that'll be back just yet, but there are talks. Basically, they want to reboot the whole franchise. With the same concept. What? And do something with me and my relationship with my son. And he said, it might be fun to do something where I'm rumbling around the bottom of the ocean because I won't look anything like me. Gestures to face. Get all gnarly. Get all gnarly. So maybe he'll have like, loads of shells on his face and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, like Stellan Skarsgård did. Precisely. Like yeah. his daddy. Yeah. The only thing better than Orlando Bloom in a Pirates of the Caribbean film is him with shells on his face. Yeah. I'm so on board. Yeah. Dead men tell no tales. Pirates of the Caribbean, colon, shell face Bloom. Yeah, that should be the title. <laughs> Can't wait. Can we scrap the rest of the episode and just talk about Pirates of the Caribbean 5 for, for like, the rest of it? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Well, we're going to do that. Let's like, see what the... Speculate pre- <laughs> about the plot. Yeah. yeah. And Katie will cut that into a five-minute episode consisting of <laughs> the new Sandy intro. Do you know what we should do? We should start talking and we should have Katie fade out and fade up again. <laughs> so anyway, okay, I think the opening yeah. shot should be uh, Captain Jack Sparrow's face. Brilliant. Okay, face. And then oh, like, he's in it as well. Yeah, so. he's looking. And he's looking at something. What's he, what's he looking at? Okay, reverse shots. Bloom. Bloom of the shells. Best. Shells with And then, uh, after uh, they come back to land, they realise that um, the trees are back and they, they've saved the world. That is the best film outline I've ever heard. It's, that's what it's got to be and that's what it will be because that's the only way it could be. Well, this podcast is a little longer than usual, but I think they'll listen to the, listen to the whole two hours, right? Absolutely. Well, yeah, it's like a spoiler special before it's even uh, <laughs> even started to write the script. Yeah. <laughs> it's a spoiler special. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Oh, anyway. That was exhilarating. Any more news? <laughs> <laughs> and now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask-quenchingly poor? Out of Danny for the judgment we're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So... Ida, uh, often... I thought it was called Ida, but mm-hmm. that's just wrong. That's only how I would have pronounced it. Well... Before you corrected me. You've obviously not seen the film, Sam, because they say her name a lot. <laughs> and it's definitely Ida. So this is the new film by Paul Paliskowski? Sky? Is it becoming a bit of a running thing of us being unable to pronounce the names? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Polish names well, involved in this Polish film. His name. Yeah. So written by Paul Paliskowski, I think. Mm-hmm. And written by uh, him and Rebecca Lenkilwicz. Why don't, why don't just call them, like, Rebecca L or, like, Powell? <laughs> Pal P, P and, and Rebecca L have written this film. <laughs> so, okay, Ida. It's set in Poland in the early 60s, and Anna, played by newcomer Agata Jesus, Trebukowska, is a 18-year-old orphan who's spent her entire life in the uh, convent. Being, she's been raised by the nuns. And she's on the verge of taking her vows to become a nun herself. I don't know what that makes her, pre-nun. She's gonna, yeah, she's going to go full nun. She's going to go full nun. She's like 80% nun yeah. at the start of the film. And the movie starts with the mother superior telling her she actually has some uh, living relatives, um, namely her aunt Wanda, and she should go and visit her before she commits to her life of nunhood. Yeah. So the film is about her um, and aunt Wanda, played by Agata Kulezga, who uh, is a hard-drinking, depressive, almost to a comedic level, uh, state prosecutor. And she reveals that Anna is actually called Ida, and she's actually Jewish. And the film details them um, trying to find out what happened to her parents during the war. 
what it's really about is about Poland post-World War II, mm-hmm. post-Nazi occupation. And the movie kind of details this road trip and them discovering what happened. And it's like a character drama. So anyway, the first thing to say is Ida is like brilliant. It's really great. In fact, I don't know why you're still listening to me about it. Go on to Netflix US and watch it. I'm already watching the credits, Danny. I've totally switched off. Um, but to give you a taste of the film, let's uh, just play the trailer. Okay, let's hear it. In a world populated entirely by monks, one woman has the balls to take them on. What are you doing in here? You're not a monk! There's no way out. They've blocked all the exits. Ida, what are you doing? You know, I wasn't always a nun. Directed by Pavel Pavlikovkovsky. Get thee to a nunnery! Ida, get some. Okay, well that didn't sound a lot like your description, Danny. Yeah, it's um, no, but it is that it is. <laughs> <laughs> that slightly misleading trailer aside. Yeah. Anyway, that misleading trailer aside, uh, Ida is brilliant. Why? As, Why, Danny? Why is it so good? The characters are really great. The premise does seem like a quite broad comedy. It's like one's a nun, the other one likes drinking. Yeah, yeah. And the sparks will fly. Um, hilarity and shoes. Hilarity and shoes, but. It's like it's played much more as a sort of human drama, and no, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Looking at me like what the? Fuck? <laughs> no, sorry, I was still lost in that in that trailer. I'm oh, sorry. I'm still laughing about Ida Get Some. Okay, so tell you what's great about this film, everything. So the film this reminded me of the most, and this might be because I'm just like an idiot. But it reminded me of Leviathan. The film reminded me of the last it's film, film I saw, I saw yeah. with words on the screen, and yeah. then they're all talking not English. <laughs> It's weird. But I think what they both have in common is that they're very specific and it's like a very personal story and the ca- it's all about the characters. But at the same time, it's got this huge scope to it. Right. And the film is as much about post-World uh, War Two Poland as it is about the characters. Right, yeah. It's so confidently and immaculately well-made. It's like every frame is like perfectly composed and it's technically like brilliantly done. What's so- the sort of like budget... I'm not sure. It's, it's black and white. You know, there's not huge crowd scenes in it. It's quite sort of personal, but I mean, like, does, how does, does it drama. evoke the kind of period? Is there a lot of period period flavor? Yeah, I mean, I have no idea what Poland looks like in 1962, but it's, it convinced me. But there's no iPods. There's no iPods. Actually, there wasn't. Actually, there wasn't an iPod in one scene. <laughs> God damn it. Anyway, um, at the same time of it feeling very considered, it never feels at all sterile or constructed. Right. And like all the characters have a life unto themselves, and. Uh, because uh, yeah, I, I've seen the tra- the um, other trailer, <laughs> uh, which um, did make it seem like um, it looked a little bit like a Stellar Artois ad from about ten years ago. You know, where it's like yeah, yeah, beautiful yeah. black and white, and people sort of stare at each other, and there's like mournful piano music. Well, I think the but there's more like the, substance. Yeah, to it. the other trailer almost looks like a sort of parody of what you'd imagine like an art house European film to be, like all yeah. black and white, but all staring at each other and stuff. But it couldn't be further from that. It's really engrossing and very accessible I don't know like when I was uh, watched it I looked up some reviews of it and it's the sort of film where people love it so much they you just sound like an idiot talking about it yeah, yeah. it's the sort of film where people say like every frame pulsates with truth right and maybe yeah. like the biggest compliment I can pay this film is like it's hard to talk about that as just sounding like a sort of hyperbolic idiot that's what I'm thinking <laughs> this man's a hyperbolic idiot right. 
Yeah, and the performances are really great. Uh, Agatha Kuleshza? Agatha K. Agatha K, who plays the Aunt Wanda, is uh, brilliant in it. And she's character is like comes across all very stern and together and doesn't take any shit from everybody but it becomes increasingly apparent how sort of damaged and fragile she is much like Poland was mm. and uh, the way that's kind of played is so well done and it's like a really um, you know I found myself really caring about this character I didn't realise it's like a sort of magic trick had been pulled on me and I was just watching this film and like 40 minutes in I was like oh Christ Agatha you know like yeah, yeah. I was really taken with it and um, the Ida herself is the newcomer uh, Agatha Trezbuzgavs? There's two Agatha's. Yeah, Agatha T. Agatha T. Agatha um, who was this complete unknown, and apparently the director just got his mates to just find if you see someone who looks like could be like an incredible screen presence, just uh, point her in my direction. So it's oh, like right. her first film. And she's got like a handful of lines. But she's like this incredible... Only a handful of lines. Yeah, she like barely... She's like this presence, like... One of the good things about the film is that she's such a sort of like naive, pure figure that she changes any situation she's in. Right. The fact that she's in it. So like she sort of brings out the best in people and people just can't find themselves like just being more honest around her. Right, right. And uh, she has got this like strange screen presence. A lot of the movie just is a shot of her face and it's just... Uh, really interesting like what is she thinking you know what's going on yeah and the movie ends on a very sort of ambiguous note and um, mm-hmm. go see it right now because it's great in fact it might even be crashing into my top 10 of 20 it's crashing the top 10 yeah wow it's go goodbye dawn of the planet of the apes <laughs> hello eater goodbye horrible bosses too <laughs> it didn't quite make the top 10 yeah not this year where can I uh, track it down good question Sam I wish this on uh, the US version of Netflix. So you flew to the US. I flew to the US and... and turned on Netflix. <laughs> turned on Netflix. <laughs> I mean, really, this film cost me about 700 quid. <laughs> Got a very cheap flight. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's why I watched it. You can still watch it online and it's also playing at the ICA in London until late December. So okay. if you're very quick, you okay, can see it. change the name of that cinema to the IDA. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That would be brilliant. Ooh, time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack and telephone friends so you know where she's at. Right, that's enough. Now back to film chat. So, uh, is there, you know, I don't know if there's even point, any point going over the bottom <laughs> because it will either be utterly cryptic or you'll know what's going to happen because you've seen the first two movies. But from the end of the previous Hobbit film, The Desolation of Smaug, um, Smaug has. <laughs> he's out of the mountain and he's. He's, he's gone. He's gone. He's out of there and he's wandering about and uh, heading to Lake Town. Various things happen and all of the armies of the world then descend on uh, the mountain to sort of see what's happening. But describing the plot almost seems irrelevant because it's a bit of a kind of jumble in yeah. this film. So I think maybe first we should discuss what was good about it because I think we have many sort of little complaints. What was good about it? What was good about it? I've got some good points. I think what this film... This film is, like, very silly. 
really. It's partly in the source material, which is a lot more whimsical than Lord of the Rings. And despite all this, the performance are really giving it their all. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, um, yeah. you know, there's a lot of silly lines and, you know, funny bits in it, but they're really giving it all the gravitas. Like, this is the fucking end of the world kind of acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Richard Armitage is like... Richard yeah, Armitage is doing everything he yeah, can. Who plays foreign. Foreign or- Oakenshield. Yeah, he's a sort of, like, badass head dwarf. And like every single line in the movie is something about the yeah, something history of his people, or something about the importance of gold. You know, he doesn't have a single. At no point does he say, you know, anything like "hello" or something like that. <laughs> or like, <laughs> "I will have war." The kingdom of Edinburgh and stuff like that. And he's really going for it. Yeah. And I think the the, the highlights. Well, Ian McKellen continues to be basically the highlight of um, the whole Lord of the Rings Peter Jackson thing. He's fantastic. Yeah. Every single line, he's just going for it. He loves. He obviously loves playing Gandalf, and he's like having a fantastic time. Uh, and Martin Freeman is fabulous as uh, Bilbo. Yeah. Every time they're on screen, I think the movie got a bit better. Absolutely. And there's just not enough Bilbo in the film. Bill, like he For really lives the movie every the time Hobbit. he appears. Where's the Hobbit? Yeah. I also thought that, uh, as with the other Hobbit films and Lord of the Rings films, there's some really striking um, images and there's some like, fantastic little moments. There was one real laugh out loud moment where uh, in uh, part of the battle of the five armies, there's a sort of giant orc character who they use as like a orc battering ram who attacks the city walls. And he's got a kind of giant slab of rock strapped to his head and he just charges straight into the walls and just falls over unconscious. Like, that's how they break in. And it was great. And yeah. Like, I mean, I was already a bit weary of the battle at that point. It was only about five minutes in. You know, there's another like hour and a half to go. But yeah. um, that definitely lifted it. Okay. Okay, so, so the, the, the <laughs> I've got a quite a major bad point, I think, okay. which just to do with the plot in general, okay. which is inherent in the story, and that is that the film starts with established this quest. It's like we've got to go to this mountain and get rid of this dragon. Yeah, we need and the treasure back. We need the treasure back, and that's uh, the mystery producer put it very well, saying like that's the sort of contract the audience has signed with the movie. Yeah, and in the book that happens, and there's this whole extra bit at the end, and it's a bit like. Well, the, you know, I signed on for the the movies ended. Yeah, you know, yeah. the the whole two movies worth of stuff has ended, and it's like this whole other bit, and it felt tacked on in the book. And I think the movie, especially by making it into three films and having a whole film this bit, doesn't really combat that problem of like, yeah, yeah. oh, that's like definitely. And especially like it requires Thorin Oakenshield to have quite an abrupt U-turn and subsequent other U-turn in character mm. for this. Um, 360 degrees. <laughs> he's just revolving the whole movie. <laughs> it's like a rotisserie. In the in the book, the way that they do the big battle at the end is like Bilbo gets knocked out and then the battle's over in like a second. Yeah. You know, so in the book it's like, you know, it's tacked on, but it's clear that the main events of the book are over. It's just a little bit of extra excitement to the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. And I think that... When you're seeing this film, you're thinking, God, wasn't it a good idea of Tolkien not to dwell on that battle too much? Yeah. And then there's all these scenes as well with uh, Gandalf investigating, you know, various um, dark happenings. The appendices. He's investigating the uh, yeah. the footnotes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's, it, it serves no dramatic purpose in the film, you know? Yeah. He might as well no, have gone he... off and like have a, had a sit-down and then come back for the, for the end part of the movie. And all the other stuff that happened would have been the same. The only function of it is to set up the events of Lord of the Rings, which have already been made and we've all seen them. So it's yeah. like, it's like, what was the point? Yeah. It felt like, you know, some of the things... I mean, there was a real tension in the movie between the light-hearted source material and, and the Lord of the Rings star epic that they were trying to make. You know, it yeah. didn't, like, 
it didn't quite gel. Because obviously they've just tried to uh, ally the tone of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But Lord of the Rings books are much darker than the Hobbit book. Yeah, there was a change in tone. And like, I do, do you think audience would really care if like the Hobbit was a mi- bit more kid-like? I think that the would... reason that they, they did it this way is basically must be like a marketing reason, basically. If you're making a kind of what is effectively a sequel to Lord of the Rings, it's got to be even bigger and more epic. You know, and that's why people will go yeah, to see yeah. it. It's harder to go smaller for the sequel. And no, I d- they sort I d- of lumbered with this story about yeah, some yeah. dwarves trying to rob a dragon, which is like just an inherently quite light story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there's a slight over-reliance on CGI. Slight might be putting it mildly. Yeah. There is an over-reliance Heavy on, over-reliance on CGI. CGI. And uh, I think the thing that really uh, took me out of the movie slightly is Billy Connolly motion capturing a dwarf king riding a pig yeah. who just sort of turns up and it's a really bizarre casting choice. First of all, because he's so well known, and his voice particularly is you, you hear his voice before, turned up. before you really see the character. Yeah. So it's like suddenly Billy Connolly's voice is booming out at you from like you know this landscape, and it's like Billy Connolly. <laughs> you know, and no one's gonna buy a lotto ticket. Yeah. I don't know why you're here. Everything, yeah. Everything's about the CGI. It's like, why don't they just get a guy to play that role who was in an, an like old scene old Scotsman comedian? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, it also has the issue of not really having a proper villain because um, Smaug is a great villain. Like, fantastic. Yeah. It was a real highlight of the second movie. It's, like, really well animated and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is really chewing it up with yeah. his voice. And then in this movie, you know, spoiler, but uh, Smaug is not featured throughout the film. <laughs> and the, the, the villain duties are taken over by the uh, one-armed orc from the first Hobbit film. Yeah who I really thought was going to be defeated in the first Hobbit film, and he yeah. like, survived it, and I was like, okay, well, we'll probably meet his end. You know? uh, Azrog uh, the Defiler. Azrog the Defiler. The Jamaican orc doing the admin. Yeah. Anyway, he's just like, he's not a very interesting villain. He's just like every other orc. Yeah. He's just a bit bigger. And mo-capped. He's got no personality. He's just like a big, angry, evil orc, and he's just like, I will kill you. I will kill men now. Kill you. Let them die. They will be... Just... It's like... I, I really miss the huge Maori guys they got, just like with like eight hours of makeup. You yeah. know, like fucking terrifying. Yeah, yeah. The Uruk guy. And now they're just all of this kind of mocaps. Yeah, yeah. And not even there. It's probably like a really skinny guy in a green leotard. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. Even though we, we've it's, mostly moaned about it, I think we both quite enjoyed it anyway. Yeah, it's not like, like a, it's not like an embarrassment. It's not like, oh, you know, you know. Oh, it's definitely it's not, not like a, or a franchise killer, a, even though they're not a planning. Star Wars prequel style thing that yeah, yeah, almost yeah. ruins the original films. It's like you know, the, you can watch these and enjoy them perfectly well, and then watch yeah. all the rings and be like, these are much better. But yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio, so she starts a podcast with her friends and the and finally, Danny and I are taking a little holiday from Film Chat now. Not together. <laughs> Separately. Uh, and we will be back on January the 10th, is that That's correct? correct? Saturday, is... January the 10th, um, with our first episode of the new year. But uh, we do have a Christmas special to tide you all over, um, and that's going to be very exciting. Jam-packed. Um, our review of the year and present giving and a little Christmas quiz and all sorts of excitement. I mean, I really don't know if, you know, it's quite a major episode, so maybe I shouldn't even say we're off, but in any case, you can look forward to it on <laughs> Christmas Eve. <laughs> but because we're off, there are a few big movies out that we will not get to review properly, so I just wanted to go over them quickly now, just so there's some kind of official film chat comment. Good point. So the big uh, blockbuster 
that we won't be seeing is Exodus Gods and Kings. And I'm not terribly upset that we're not going to see it because it's had quite bad reviews. Yeah. So obviously we haven't seen this movie, so we can't say, you know, for definite whether it's good or not. But one person who has seen the film is Terence Nance, who is the director of the 2012 film, uh, An Oversimplification of Her Beauty. And uh, he did quite a scathing review of it on the Talk House um, film blog. I'm going to read the beginning of it um, because I think it gives you a flavour of uh, his objections to the film. Me. Let's start with a banal truth that will to most people sound extreme or nonsensical. Oh, that's already exciting. Wow. Ridley Scott's film Exodus Gods and Kings is both the product and tool of a white supremacist socio-economic system whose primary goal is to maintain and abuse white cultural, economic and social power over non-white people with a special interest in wielding white straight male superiority over people of African, Asian and indigenous American descent living in the United States. He then goes on to compare it to Birth of a Nation and repeatedly calls Ridley Scott a white supremacist. Wow. Um, strong words. Strong words. I mean, it's incredibly long. This is referring to the fact that Christian Bale and Joe Edgerton are playing Egyptians. Yes, and, mainly. Uh, all the antagonists, are the char- apparently the characters of the thieves and servants, are played by like actual, actual like, Egyptian actors. But yeah, but the hero, the leads are yeah, the leads are white, white males. White males. Um, they, I mean, they obviously should be males, but um, yeah. they're white. They're, they're not. They're not remotely Egyptian. Well, Joel Edgerton is like he looks like a bit sort of browned up. Possibly. Yeah, they've they've tanned them both. They've tanned him. Tanned. Anyway, it's it's an entertaining read. Uh, yeah. If you've got a lot of time on your hands because it's bloody long. <laughs> Another film that we will not be watching is Annie, the remake of the well, or the second adaptation of the musical. Yeah, where a white role is being played by Quivenzano Wallace, a black actress. Right, it's the exact opposite. Fantastic. I'm outraged. Yeah. But I'm, I don't care. So this has also been uh critically mauled. Um and a lot of critics have had a lot of fun with this one. Obviously, they're making jokes based on songs. Several yeah. critics have said stuff like, it's a hard-knock life if you are watching this film. Yeah. One person did say, David Rooney from The Hollywood Reporter said, the sun will come out tomorrow, by which time this toxic mess should be forgotten. Ooh. But definitely the top uh, critical comment was friend of the show, Peter Bradshaw in The oh, Guardian. Yeah. Who had Bradshaw? He, he obviously he was grinning from ear to ear as he composed his review of this film. Yeah. Here's the choicest bit. This movie is slathered in slush, immersed in yuckiness, and positively laminated in ickiness. It's supposed to warm your cockles. It might do something entirely different to your gag reflex. <laughs> it won't be warming your gag reflex. It's supposed reflex. to warm your cockles. <laughs> My That's cockles a- remained completely <laughs> tepid throughout. So, four stars from Bradshaw? Well, he gave that one four stars. Yeah. Yes, he didn't like it as much as Horrible Bosses too, but he's <laughs> obviously still positive about it. The final major film that uh, we won't be seeing, I probably wouldn't be reviewing it anyway, is Dumb and Dumber 2. Dumb and Dumber 2? 2. Dumb and Dumber 2, which is the third Dumb and Dumber film. Is that also part of the joke? I don't know. No, it's this what? No, it's the second. No, no. Oh, there was the prequel. Yeah. Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have great hopes of this one, so I didn't spend ages, you know, um, finding great quotes about it. But uh, what? Neil Pond of Parade magazine uh, did say this. Carrie's character's clueless craziness, that's an incredible bit of alliteration from Neil Pond there, now seems cruel and even pathologically twisted. Not just dumb, but loathsome, pathetic, and truly crazy. So his clueless crazy. craziness is truly crazy. crazy. So he, he also gave the film four stars. Wow. So, uh, that's it. Um, I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas. And uh, thanks to everyone who has uh, gotten in touch with us and liked our Facebook page and sent us tweets. But 
please more Bebo. Yeah, you've neglected the Bebo, so we really need more. We really need more Bebo. Find us at Bebo <laughs> slash filmchat.com. At Bebo. At Bebo.com. That's the email address. <laughs> the email address again, Bebo slash filmchat.com. Dot com. At Bebo.com. <laughs> All right. All right. See you in the new year. I mean, see you on Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye. Film Chat was written by Paul Schrader and directed by Bill Hader. The parts of Sam and Danny were played by James Spader. It was produced... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's by Mel Brooks as some kind of elaborate sick prank. <laughs>